0: You notice that Christmas is a time that really tends to magnify things. Have you noticed that? Like, here's what I mean. If something's good, the Christmas season tends to magnify the good and makes things even better, right? Uh, Josh talked about some of those things last week, things like joy and peace and goodwill and hope, right? We lean into those concepts. At the same time, Christmas can also magnify the difficult things. What might be a little painful during the year seems to be incredibly painful during Christmas time. And since the things that Josh talked about last week were so positive, I thought I'd just balance that out today and we're going to look at some of the negative things that get magnified because they do. Let's just talk about it. These things that get magnified in what I'm just going to call the spotlight of Christmas, those things that lurk in the shadows of the spotlight of Christmas during this Christmas season. And since we're only a couple of weeks away <coughs> from Christmas, and many of us are preparing for <coughs> time with family and extended family, that's the best, and exes, and step parents, and uh, co parents, and parties with co workers, and parties with neighbors, because we, and it's all great. All of those settings where we're kind of expected to spend some time with lots of other people um, that maybe some of them we would generally prefer not to spend time with in this kind of social setting. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. And I hope to offer some suggestions to help us survive and even thrive with people, including the difficult people, to thrive relationally um, and emotionally and mentally and spiritually over this Christmas season and then beyond. I'm going to talk about three things. Um, it's, like it's a little bit like they're ghosts of Christmas past. Um, they, they tend to come around and haunt our Christmas experience. And while these realities are present all year long, there's something about the holidays that just accentuate and emphasize and bring these things into focus. And I mean, we can't seem to escape their power over us, especially in the spotlight of Christmas. So I'm going to let you know where we're going for the next few minutes, and then I hope this is helpful for all of us. I want to talk about the shadow of a fence the shadow of offense. I want to talk to you specifically about overcoming offenses. Then we're going to talk about healing from shame. We've tackled this subject a couple of times in the last year or so, the subject of shame. It's a subject that traditionally um, hasn't been talked about much in the church, uh, but it's a subject that we've been intentional about changing uh, the the, the way that we we talk about it here, but breaking the power of shame in our lives by bringing it out of the shadows and into the light. Um, many of us internalize shame uh, from something that we did, and we think that because I did that, I am bad, that kind of thing. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about that and how it speaks directly to our hearts to heal us uh, from shame. And then in a few minutes after that, we're, we'll talk about the power of words and uh, overcoming labels because, let's just be honest, honest. all of us um, throughout life, we pick up different labels. Someone calls us something, we think something about ourselves, these labels tend to limit us, and with God's help, we can overcome the, those labels. So, but first of all, we're going to talk about <coughs> the shadow of offense. How many of you know someone who is easily offended? You can put your hand up. You don't have to say, don't look at them. Uh, but you know someone who is easily, I'm just, I just want to see, do that again, would you please? Because they can get to see the room. Okay, most of us. And if they knew, if that person you have in mind, if they knew that you were raising your hand, they'd be so offended right now, right? That kind of deal, right? How many of you would say, quite honestly, you might be offended more often than you should be? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, you're raising your hand. That's cool. Uh, then um, I'll just be sensitive to that. Maybe it's easier for, to offend you than you wish it was. Can you identify with that, right? Yeah. Like you wish you weren't so sensitive and take offense so quickly. Um, that's difficult to admit. For example, maybe for you, you're talking to somebody... And the whole time that you're trying to have a conversation with them, they're just looking and scrolling and looking and scrolling and looking and scrolling and looking and scrolling, scrolling, right? And you're like, would you put that thing down? You know, like, look at me. I'm right here. Like, look at me. And some of you, you might, you get so, wait, stop. Like right now, you're on your phone? Really? Right now? Like, I'm so offended. But I'm just kidding. But speaking of the phone, it's uh, really easy now with technology to find new and creative ways to, to be offended. Right? Um, you, you'd think that after nearly twenty years of experience with social media, that we would have figured out how this works, and maybe we wouldn't be so sensitive uh, to the Facebook comments, to the Instagram comments. We're still surprised when someone drops their opinion on us that way, and we're still getting offended by it. And, and this isn't new. Like, how are we not learning how this works? Like, your your friend doesn't follow you on Instagram, and, and you like all their posts, and it's like, I'm not even worthy of being followed, or they, they do follow you, but they don't comment, and they don't like, or, or maybe one day they follow you, and then the next day they don't, and that's like so offensive, and you're like, I'm unliking all of my likes on your page because you unfollowed me, and you text them, and then they ghost you, right? And you're like, oh, so I'm a 24-hour responder now? Like, the worst thing is when you text them, and they start to respond, and you see the bubbles, Right? <laughs> There are bubbles there. They're writing something to me. Oh, it's going to be a really long message. There's a lot. This is taking a long while. It's going to be a really long, and then nothing, right? It's like, I saw the bubbles. You started to reply, and then you just stopped. Why did you dump me in the middle of the text? Like, I thought we were tight. I thought we were friends. I could get really offended by this, so I'm going to. No, I am offended, and I thought we were friends, right? So it's a little bit ridiculous, but you can identify. Then the holidays come, and you know how it is. The same person who's always late to the party also doesn't bring anything to eat for, the, for everybody else, for all the guests, doesn't bring anything to share. They don't bring any food, but what do they bring? They bring, I was going to say Tupperware, is that still a thing? But they bring their take-home box, right? They bring that. It's all folded up neatly in their bag right now, but... Uh, yeah. So like, even though you're late to the party, you didn't bring anything to ask if you could bring anything, you're prepared to take some food home. So... It's interesting how, being a little facetious, but it's interesting how around the holidays, the littlest things can set us off in the biggest ways. And a time that's supposed to be Christ-honoring becomes very destructive in our relationships and with the people that we say we love the most. And those are kind of little annoying things and inconsequential things. The reality is that for many of us, there will be significant hurts and significant wounds that emerge this time of year. Like maybe you thought you would resolve that, but then at Christmas time it kind of rears its head. Maybe some of you have been betrayed (coughs) in a significant way. Like someone lied to you, someone lied about you, someone let you down or they represented one thing and then lived in a totally different way. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been betrayed by people that you're supposed to be able to trust. Some of you are going through family situations that are very dysfunctional, and they're hurtful, and maybe it's been this way for years. The challenge is so often, when we're offended, we let the offenses seep into our heart and overcome our attitudes. And, uh, and eventually, the norm for us, I mean, our default, we can just count on, it happens every year, we have entire, like Christmas gatherings that are completely destroyed. And any progress we've made in those relationships throughout the year, it's like it just gets wiped out. There are those who's Families have divided uh, there are many who've had friendships who've, that have ended and I just I pray with all my heart that that we can go into this time of year to honor the birth of our Savior and that as we do that and we open gifts with a heart that, is, that we that we that is open right that we don't go into it with a heart that is closed to someone that we're called to love that's the point and I hope that we don't celebrate the love of Christ while withholding love from someone who's we should be loving. I pray that we never enjoy the grace of God without extending the grace of God to other people around us. Like as we celebrate and enjoy the grace of God in this season, in our lives, let's be sure we're extending the same grace to be agents of God's grace to the people around us. That's why in this Christmas season, we need to get real and talk about overcoming offenses. So let's think about this. Like, what is life? The New Testament writer um, in the book of James says that life is a mist. It's a vapor. We're here for a little while, and then it's gone. Life passes by so fast. I remember hearing people say that when I was a little bit younger, and i like, I don't know what you mean. This day will never end. What do you mean life is so fast? Listen, your life is too short, and your calling is too great to live offended. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. You probably like, need to tell yourself that, that my life is too short and my calling is too great to live offended. So like, guess what? Here's news. Life is short. You're like, I, I get that. And here's something else. Your calling is, is great, and it, it, it is. like My calling is great, so is yours, every single one of us. And you're like, oh, it'd be, that's nice. It'd be nice to know what my calling is. Would you let me in on that? Absolutely. We are called by God to live our lives in such a way that our influence and our presence in the lives of other people leads them into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's your calling. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to reflect the love of Jesus when we come into contact with anyone. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in serving the people around us. We're called to show his love on this earth. I love this uh, verse in Proverbs. Um, this particular phrase, especially in Proverbs nineteen, uh, verse eleven. This is what Scripture says. It says, "A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to what overlook an offense." We should probably let's read that that, last, that second sentence there together. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. What's that mean? To overlook an offense. We need to recognize that overlooking an offense is not the same as pretending it didn't happen. It's not saying that this never happened. It's not... (coughs) It's not forgetting about it. Like, that's humanly impossible. Have you ever tried to forget an offense or, like, oh, forgive and forget, and then you, like, are forcing yourself to forget and you're finding that doesn't work? Correct? It doesn't work. The more that you try to forget something... (laughs) that's right, it's just how the human brain works. It's overlooking the fact that it, and accepting the fact that it already happened, but it's in the past. It's a conscious decision not to hold on to it anymore, to let it go. In other words, it's a form of forgiveness. It's almost like an in-the-moment decision to forgive. Uh, for years, I've used Philip Yancey's definition of forgiveness. It's, he says forgiveness is choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin, Choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin, it's a choice. It's a real-time decision that I'm going to rise above this, and I'm going to choose in the moment not to let this get into my heart. In fact, the word overlook, that's in the English language, actually comes from two Hebrew words that literally mean to pass over. So it is to one's glory, to pass over an offense, to get above it in your heart, and to rise above it spiritually. So what I want to do is just unpack a couple of statements that maybe we ought to bring into our thought processes and into our steps from in, towards healing from offense. First statement is this, that with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. With God's help in getting over being easily offended. Ephesians 4 verse 2, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then the New Living Translation says this, making allowance for each other's faults. Making allowance for each other's faults. How many of you know somebody who's perfect? All right. I don't. We don't. But with the people that we love, we make allowances for their faults because of our love for them, right? That's how it works. What's interesting is how often we tend to judge others by their actions. We pretty much always judge others by their actions. But what we often do with ourselves, here's what we do, is we judge ourselves by our intentions. Have you noticed that? We need to recognize that when someone has a bad day, when someone has a bad response, when someone maybe wasn't given the tools and the resources to deal with life in a healthy way, when someone might be uncaring, unkind, unfriendly, short with you, inattentive, lacking empathy, their bad response, listen, is not all about you. Their bad day is not all about you. Their bad driving is not all about you. It's not an attempt to ruin your day. Their snarky comment is not always about you. The fact they walk by quickly with hardly just barely saying hi, it's not always about you. Like whenever someone's short with me, what I'm learning to do, I haven't quite landed on this one, but I'm learning to do is to ask myself, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder why they're hurting today. When someone's a little bit rude, instead of judging them, <coughs> what I want to do is have compassion for them. Like, I wonder if there's a way I can serve them. I wonder if there's a way I can add value to them. I wonder if there's a way I could minister to them. I wonder if they need prayer. I wonder if they need a bigger tip than they're expecting. That kind of thing, right? And I wonder if there's a way I can bless them unexpectedly. Instead of immediately taking an offense, what I want to do is have the attitude of Christ. I want to have compassion on someone because I don't want to be easily offended with God's help. So with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. And the second statement is, with God's help, I'm getting over the big offenses. I want to be gentle here because I know there are those of you that have very significant wounds in your life. Some of them are recent. And I know that for a lot of you, especially going into Christmas time, it stirs up things like betrayal and hurt and abuse and lies, maybe the loss that you've experienced or endured in your life. And those hurts and those losses may be recent, like since last Christmas. And then, or they may go way, way back. But this is very, very real. So when we've been hurt, whatever that looks like, we have choice. We can, we can really essentially do one of a couple things. And they're both kind of extremes. We can rehearse what happened. So that's what we often do. Like, well, she said, you know, then he did. And we go over it and over and over it with anyone who will listen, kind of building our case and building our team, right? And we want to keep reminding people of how hurt how real our hurt is and how justified we are in feeling this way. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for telling the story and processing in that work towards healing, right? But that, So that, that part's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about rehearsing it over and over and just staying in that place and it feeds the bitterness and it feeds anger and it feeds dislike deeper into our hearts. So, I would say we can rehearse it, or with God's help, we can start to release it. We can rehearse it, or with God's help, we can start to release it. The process of forgiveness, like for most of us, it's going to take some time. And over time, it comes in layers because it is a process. So like, don't expect the process of forgiveness to work anything at all, like peeling a banana to get to the fruit all right? Most of us have discovered that the process of forgiveness is much more like an onion with layers and layers and layers. But here's the thing. As we continue to seek God, as we continue to press into the Holy Spirit, as we continue to pray and we continue to seek to do the right thing, the Holy Spirit can actually start to change our hearts. Colossians 3 verse 13 The Apostle Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Some of you, you're thinking of somebody right now. Like, how do you forgive somebody who's unforgivable? How do you forgive something that's so wrong, so brutal, so horrific, so intentional, or maybe so raw and so recent? Like, not only how do we forgive someone who's hurt us, but you know what sometimes is even more difficult? How to forgive someone that hurts someone we love. We pick up an offense for someone else. Like, you mess with my kid, that's another story. You mess with my wife. Like, how do we forgive? We forgive, listen, Paul says, as we've been forgiven. So, how do we do that? Paul says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So, we forgive because we've been forgiven, and we forgive. As we've been forgiven I don't know about you I can't speak for anybody here but I've been forgiven of a lot if you look at the accumulation of my years and all the times that I've let people down or maybe been less than honest I've hurt people throughout the years I've blatantly sinned against God I've been forgiven of a lot So how do I forgive somebody that seems unforgivable? I forgive in the same way that I've been forgiven. Freely, I've been forgiven. Freely, I forgive others. And and it is a process. So I think we pray, God, help me forgive. God, help change my heart. God, give me grace as you've, uh, give me the grace as you've given me grace to give to other people, right? God, I pray for this person. I pray for this person who has wronged me. I pray a blessing on this person, even though I really don't want to. Like, bless them, I just don't want to see it. That's fine, that's a start, right? How do we forgive something that seems unforgivable in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us? So do we, here's a question, do we withhold forgiveness until someone is worthy of our forgiveness? Do we withhold forgiveness until they've changed their ways? Do we withhold forgiveness until they've apologized? No, we forgive regardless of whether they are worthy of our forgiveness. We forgive even while they continue in the same destructive behavior, and we forgive even before they ask for forgiveness because that is how Jesus forgave us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So over time, while this process plays out in our lives and in our relationships and especially in our relationship with God, over time, we're no longer saying, I'm getting over it, but because of God, I am over it. Like, I'm over it. I'm done. It's in my past. I'm different today. That doesn't hold me back anymore because of God's work in my life and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're moving on. It's like, I'm, I'm over this. I'm not letting it slow me down. I'm doing what God has called me to do, so I'm over that. Like, and so there, I think there are people in this room, I believe this could be true, this could be the time, like this could be the time, perhaps this Christmas season, is when the presence of God becomes so real to you, and the work of the Holy Spirit becomes a real thing in your life, and He does the healing work in you, and you're no longer going to be under the curse of something that happened in the past. So we're saying, with God's help, I'm getting over it. With God's help, with God's help, I'm getting over it. And then one day, because of God's grace, because of God's faithfulness, and because I stayed engaged, I'm over it. Because of his grace, I've let it go. Because I stayed involved in the process, I'm not living in the past anymore. This shadow of the spotlight of Christmas has no power over me anymore. What used to hold me back actually maybe made me a little stronger. What used to hurt me in the past has conformed me to the image of Jesus. I'm even more like him today because I've allowed him to come in and continue to renew my mind. What weighed me down for years no longer holds me down. Why? Because I'm I'm done with it. As Jesus has forgiven me, I'm forgiving others. The proverb says it's to your glory to overlook, to rise above, to not be held hostage by some offense. Why? Because life is short. Life is too short to live offended and your calling is too great. Do you recognize that? That God created you, that God formed you. God gave you gifts and put you in this moment in his story. Why? To bring him glory and to do his will. What used to hold me hostage doesn't hold me anymore. Why? Because God is leading me and causing me to rise above it. God is lifting me above it. My soul is so close to the things of God that it wouldn't let anything like that drag me down. We're talking about the shadows and the spotlight of Christmas. Number two, shadow number two is shame. Shame is a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. There's a, there's a difference, uh, we know, between guilt and shame. Guilt is a feeling that I did something bad. Shame is the idea that I am bad. Like Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is the emotion that says I am bad. So then what do we do? We connect the what with the who. So we connect the what we did with who we are. I did bad, therefore I am bad. And we start to believe that. He rejected me, she rejected me, therefore I am nothing. And after what I did, I am worthless. There may be those of you today that have some kind of a secret that you're carrying around. You carried this secret for a long time. You don't want anybody to know. Because of that, you own the accusation that I am a horrible person, <laughs> like I'm a fraud. Like maybe you're a Jesus follower, right? And you're engaged in this secret world of something. And because of that, you feel I am a bad person. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you have something in your past that you're not proud of. And you're like, man, if they knew about my past. If they knew, they wouldn't let me sweep the floors or park cars, right? If they only knew what I did and what kind of person I am. And you're consumed with this idea of shame. There could be any number of things. And you internalize it. and You connect the what with the who, I'm just not a good person. So before long, you put words on it. What do you say? You say things like, I'm defective. I'm damaged. I am broken. I'm flawed. I'm dirty. I am ugly. I am impure. I am disgusting. I am unlovable. I am weak. I am pitiful. I am less than. I'm insignificant. I'm worthless. And I'm unwanted. Let me say a couple things about shame-based thinking. In our shame, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. It's kind of a weird connection, but we're vulnerable to f- perfectionism. Like we attempt to silence our shame with an error-free performance. So we find it difficult then to ever even admit failure. We want to silence the shame by performing at the highest st- standard and say, look, like, I'm not that bad. Like I did this. Like I did it. I succeeded. I got it like, just right. And we're vulnerable to perfectionism. The second thing is that we're critical of ourselves and of others. Like we're, we're really hard on ourselves, and that in turn makes us hard on other people. What happens? Well, we see our own faults mirrored in other people, and when we see our faults in other people, we become judgmental of them, and then they perceive us as arrogant or self-righteous. And the third thing is we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. Like we focus on, we focus on the worst possible outcome Something like this, this bad thing is going to happen and they're never going to like me and I'm never going to amount to anything and we'll never have a close relationship. And, and, and through our own self-defeating thoughts, we end up sabotaging opportunities and responsibilities. That's why Christmas can get so crazy. Because what happens? Oh, you're around the table or you're, your mom lashes out at you for no reason at all. Like, where did that come from? Your dad goes off and gets drunk and disengages from everyone. You're like, there he goes again. You don't recognize that his unhealthy and unproductive way of coping is about dealing with a very real and internal shame in his own life. Your in-laws, they are always picking at you about how you raise your kids. Like, why would they do this? And the reality is perhaps they feel inadequate. Today it's my prayer that God would do a healing work and set so many people free of the dark and devastating emotion of shame. My prayer for us, for our church, comes out of Isaiah 54. And this was God speaking to Israel. But I believe that God wants to speak this into many of your your lives this morning. Where God says, fear not. You'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You'll no longer remember the shame of your youth. I'm going to read that again. I want you to just kind of internalize that and feel the power of what God is saying. Fear not. You'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You'll no longer remember the shame of your youth. Like why is it that if you're a Jesus follower that we can be completely free from shame, from the shame of our past or whatever? I think it's found in 1 John 1 verse 9, this amazing promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. From all unrighteousness. So here's some good news: if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. Second Corinthians 5. God separates your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. That's in Psalm 103. He doesn't hold them against you anymore. You are free. Romans 8 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our good God forgives you and uses your sins against you no more. And if anyone calls on him, he's faithful to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if our God is that good and his forgiveness is that real, then why do we continue to live in shame? Like maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you know this truth up here, but why have you not felt it and embraced it in your heart? The truth is it's really, really difficult to overcome shame because it over time becomes a part of our identity And I would say the only way to to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I am not to who Christ is. Like whenever you're focused on yourself, you're going to come up short again and again and again. Because you're not designed to do life on your own. It's true. We need help. You are inadequate and so am I. And if we continue to focus on ourselves, we're always going to come up short. And that's why we have to move the focus off of this is where I fall short and move the focus on who Christ is. He's the solution to our shame. I want to put a little sentence on the screen with a couple of blanks. And this is where we just got to be honest. This is where we get to get over our shame-based identity, to have the courage to be transparent, to open up to your life, to let the guard down, to let somebody in, to be honest with God and say, I need your help. I need healing in this place in my life. You might want to write this down or take a picture of the screen. I am not... Fill in the blank. I don't know what's going to go on your blank. Fill that in with the most common lie that you lean into, the enemy throws at you then fill it in with the truth. Because of Christ, I am. What? Let me give you some ideas. You might say this, I'm not bad. I'm not going to focus on that. Because of Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm not broken. Because of Christ, I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. I've become new. I'm not disgusting. Because of Christ, I am accepted and wanted and loved. Maybe you felt like someone was saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Maybe that's even been your church experience. Maybe you've said it to yourself. Maybe you thought it was God saying it to you. Listen, if we can silence the voices that taunt you with shame, you'll hear God saying, the shame that you've been carrying around, I've rolled it off of you. Shame was on you, but now because of the work of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, shame is off of you. Like feel that, live like that. Shame was on you, now it's gone. Shame was on you, but God by his power and by his grace and by his goodness has removed our shame. Like today, not later, but today, like not eventually someday, if you try hard enough. Today, like in the present, shame has been lifted off of you. So understand this, just embrace this. You are not what you did in the past. You are not what the negative voices in your life say you are. You are not what somebody did to you, who you are. Who are you then? You are who Christ says you are. Like you are free, you are forgiven, you are changed, you are redeemed, you are healed, you are blessed, you are chosen. You are wanted and you are accepted and you are complete and you are loved. And if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. The old is gone and everything has become new. Why? Because by the power of God, the shame has been rolled away. The Apostle Paul said, No more condemnation. No more condemnation. So, what is it for you? <clears throat> Carried a secret, made a decision, something you regret, hurt somebody, failed in this particular area, and now the enemy has tried to connect the what with the who. You're bad. You're dirty. You're nothing. You're less than. You're the victim. You've taken the hurt that you inflicted that was inflicted on you. You've turned all the responsibility for that on yourself. So let's do this. Take the focus off of ourselves and put the focus on who Jesus is and who he says we are. Like I can do everything he's called me to do. I can be who he's called me to be. I have everything I need to do everything he's called me to do. Today, let the shame be rolled away. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop right here. I'm going to take like two minutes. We're going to leave this on the screen. I encourage you to just process that however you need to process it. If you need to write it, sit in prayer where you are, you can go back to the prayer space back there, whatever you want to do, we're going to take like two minutes, play a little music and let this, let's just sit in this for a moment. Shadow number three, I want to call this one the power of words. How many of you know that words can be very, very powerful? You've found this to be true in your life. Words have the power to create. They have the power to bring healing. uh, They have the power to shape. They have the power to motivate. On the negative side, though, the words have the power to hurt, right? Words have the power to wound. Words have the power to uh, discourage. Words have the power to destroy. In fact, maybe you grew up hearing something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ever heard that? How many of you ever heard that? How many of you ever of uh, you heard it as a kid? How many of you told your kids that? Okay, this is probably the stupidest thing that's ever been written. Um, like you thought you were being a great parent, but man, this is dumb. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's just not true. Okay? Words may never hurt you. Words can really, really hurt They can inflict a lot of damage. They sting and they form us. They stick with us for a long time. The reality is this in Proverbs 18. Scripture tells us that in our words, we hold the power of life and death. Words can build and words can destroy. The truth is that when you hear something over and over and over again, it's hard not to actually believe that it's true. Like words have shaping power in our lives. The reality is, let's call it what it is, that there are many of us and many of you and, 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 and me in different areas of our lives, maybe we struggle in the present because of labels that we picked up in the past. We struggle in this moment because of labels that we've wrongly owned from things that happened in the past. Maybe somebody said something about you at one time, they called you something, belittled you, made you feel less than, and you've internalized that label. You heard something about you on the outside, about your actions, about your abilities, about your failings, about something on the outside, and you started to internalize it on the inside. So let's be honest. Sometimes when we internalize a negative label, there are times there might be some truth to it, okay? In other words, someone says, you're lazy and you own that label. Like you, it's possible that you might not be the most motivated person who's ever lived, okay? So maybe there's a little bit of truth in there or like, hey, you're such a hothead. The truth might actually be that you you lose your temper more than the average person. Like there might be some truth to the label that you've embraced, but here's what I hope we understand. What's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. What's true about you now doesn't have to always be true of you. God's power is bigger than your past. His grace is stronger than any label that anyone could ever put on you. So what's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. And if you don't like what you've been called, if you don't like the labels that have been placed on you and that you've somehow like maybe unknowingly embraced, I'm just going to say name it something different. Like someone has called you insecure. It's something that you've, I don't know, just identified with for a long time. No, 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 no. I'm confident in Christ. I have everything in Christ that I need to be and do everything he's called me to be and do. Call it something else. Well, you're just lazy. No, no, actually, I'm not. I'm being transformed by the Holy Spirit. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm being motivated to to like fulfill my divine calling in my life. I wake up with a divine purpose to use my gifts to make a difference in the world. Well, I'm just miserable, you know. I'm just always no, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Call it something else. Your words have the power of life. and, And you grow into believing them over time. You confess what God says is true about you and you don't embrace the lie. You know, like, well, you're not dependable. You're a cheater. You're a loser. You're a failure. No, you are forgiven. You are transformed. You are made new. You are healed by the grace of Jesus. You are loved. You're an overcomer. Name it something different. You may have been saying, like, maybe even right now, well, I'm just going through a tough season. This is a really bad season. This is tough. This is a bad season in my life. Well, well maybe in this season, I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm being shaped as I'm learning to persevere and to have faith and to trust in Christ. Maybe when it looks like I'm being hurt, this is an opportunity for me to allow the Holy Spirit to transform me in the inside, like my spiritual roots are growing deeper. It may look like winter, but spring is coming. Like, I believe it. I can feel it. God is doing a divine work in me. You might say, well, I just feel so alone right now. This is the thing about Christmas. And all these people everywhere I look, people with family and friends and parties, and I'm just so alone. I'm totally dreading this season. Like, I feel so alone. Name it something different. Like, I'm actually drawing closer to Jesus in this season. He is my strength. He is my identity. He is my comfort. I draw near to him. He draws near to me. Name, Name it something different. Like, we don't get to choose what happens to us, right? But we do get to choose what we call it. Perspective matters. And here's the thing. The reality is you have an enemy who hates you. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy, as Jesus said. To steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. Let me tell you what really matters to the heart of God. You matter to the heart of God. Our enemy is a liar and the father of lies. What he wants to do is tell you over and over again that what you're not, that you're not good enough, that you're pathetic, that you're never going to amount to anything that matters. You can't make a difference after what you did if they really knew and on and on the lies that he sends our way. Those are the shadows and the spotlight of Christmas, but we serve the Savior of Christmas, who came into this world, born of a virgin, who loved us where we were, died so we could be forgiven, rose again from the dead so that anyone who calls on him is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, the labels are broken, the power no longer holds you. The old is gone, the new has come. So let's take some time during these next few weeks to just stop and reflect. I just want to ask you, this will take a little bit of courage, but just to admit that if you're connecting, you know, some outward label with an inward identity, and today I just encourage you to take that before Jesus and say, Jesus, help me call this something else. Help me see it for what it really is. I don't want to be what someone else says. I don't want to be what I, the, the lies that I've believed about myself. I don't want to be the result of the brokenness of my past. I want to be who you say I am. And I invite you to continue to transform me by your grace. I want to be in that process. This is not where we want to be. Let's do that. Let's pray. There may be something drawing you towards God today. Let me tell you exactly what that is. It's His goodness. It's His grace. It's His Spirit. Like somewhere in the past, you may have taken up an offense. It might have been a big deal, a legitimately big deal. Or maybe it was something minor that you made major. Either way, you're carrying some offenses around with you. Maybe you live with a heavy sense of shame. You believe the lie that your failures have defined you, that your actions have defined you, that what you've done is actually who you are. And you can't imagine what it would be like to live in the freedom that Jesus promised. Maybe you've been affected significantly by the words of someone in your past, someone in your family, someone you might um, have to spend time with over the next couple weeks, maybe an ex-spouse, maybe a step-parent. You've been deeply scarred by the words that came out of someone's mouth and you heard them over and over and over to the point that you believe them to be true and you've picked up some labels. You've worn them as if they were actually true of you. Perhaps there's even some truth in it, you know, just enough truth that you can't discard it, but it's been embellished. Listen, what's true about you now doesn't have to be true of you later. What was true about you then doesn't need to be true of you now. Heavenly Father, I pray for a healing work. God, take whatever the enemy intends for evil in our lives and God, by faith, we believe you can take that and turn it into good. Pray that we would see ourselves as you see us. That we would never call ourselves something that is contrary to your image of us, May your Holy Spirit continue to renew our minds, conform us to the image of our Savior, that we can please you in every single way and bring glory to you with every breath that we take. Help us to take whatever lies we've been embracing and call them something else. Help us to see it as you see it, because you're the source of all truth. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as forgiven, desirable, worthy, loved children of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.